A lot of you have been contacting our show and saying, hey, Chris, we want you to talk more about medical marijuana. As you know, both North Dakota and Minnesota have legalized medical marijuana. Now, there's a lot of research that's showing that, hey, when you, when you use medical marijuana, it actually reduces opioid use and it's potentially saving lives. So earlier I spoke with medical marijuana doctor Sherry Yafi. She's the medical director at High Sobriety about the work and research that she's doing to really make a difference for her patients with medical marijuana. Doc, welcome to Point of View. We really appreciate your time. I want to get to this first where we talk about uh, what you've been up to lately with medical marijuana, but you're a classically trained emergency medical physician. You studied at UCLA, the neuroscience department, um, and now you've since transitioned into working with medical marijuana. What happened over the course of your career to go, wait a second, there's something here that can make a tremendous impact for my patients? That's a great question. So I did my emergency medicine residency at UC San Diego and over a decade ago. And now I basically decided that two years ago, once it was legalized here in California, that this was a, the right avenue for me. Specifically, I was seeing more patients in the emergency department with narcotic overdoses and abuse of medications, some of them prescription medications, some of them street medications or street drugs. And it wasn't fitting correctly with me. Not only that, but I was seeing patients and loved ones with cancer who were using cannabis-based products with a really positive outcome. And I decided that we need to speak about this a little bit more openly with our patients, because if we're not doing it, then who is? And specifically the people who are doing it are the dispensaries. They are young people who are open to this. They are people who don't have medical training. So some of them are doing a great job and some of them are doing not so great a job. But we really need to take onus of this as a medication and start talking about it. How do we get it there? Because I think one of the things I keep hearing, because it's still labeled as a you know class one drug, there's real no uh, concrete research on it. So what needs to happen for us to have some great medical science research on this to show, wait a second, this is a viable opportunity for people that are experiencing pain. Well, actually, we do have some really good scientific articles about it, and we do have science behind it. Since 1996 here in California, we've had UC San Diego leading the path with the CMCR, the um, Medical Cannabis Research Department, and UCLA just recently opened up a cannabis initiative that's doing medical research. And in fact, we're seeing them pop up all over through medical departments, through universities, and we do have lots of data behind it. The California Medical Board just recently realigned their statement about cannabis as a medical recommendation and put cannabis on equal footing to pharmaceutical medications for neuropathic pain. And we are just beginning to scratch the surface of what cannabis can do in specific situations. Let's talk about the opioid crisis. I've heard a lot of states now that say, hey, we've legalized medical marijuana, thus we've seen a de decrease in opioid overdose deaths. We've got um, just a really bad crisis here uh, in the upper Midwest, in North Dakota, Minnesota. What kind of results are you seeing when you're giving medical marijuana versus opioids to your patients? Myself and not just me, but everyone is starting to see this trend in states that have medical dispensaries and medical cannabis laws. We are seeing a decrease in narcotic use. JAMA, one of the largest medical research journals, just came out with an article about two months ago 
showing that in states with cannabis laws, medical cannabis laws, we are seeing a markedly decreased number of opiate usage through Medicare, Medi-Cal. And that's not just me in my small office. This is all over the country we're seeing this. So specifically in my office, I am specifically reducing narcotics with the goal of being narcotic reduction for pain usage with cannabis. And once we reduce the narcotics, the decision can then be made if we're going to also continue with cannabis and we're not obligated to use cannabis, which is pretty remarkable in this day and age. It seems Now the secondary part, sorry, of my work is with high sobriety. High sobriety is a rehab group that I'm working with where we're using cannabis-based medications. And let me be very clear, when we talk about cannabis, it comes in all shapes and forms. And what we're using in high sobriety is all non-smokables. So this is not puff the joint, this is not an inhalation, this is nothing of the kind. These are all oils and edibles where we're using it to help patients maintain their sobriety. And that's a really amazing concept that we can help patients maintain sobriety through a small amount of cannabis oil. Now, are you seeing uh, the maintained sobriety, the decrease in the opioids obviously is great, but are they also getting the same results as reducing their pain? Yes, that's a great question and not a question I get asked often enough. So what we're finding is, is this concept of opioid-induced hyperalgesia syndrome, which is a well-documented scientific um, diagnosis where people who need narcotics need more and more narcotics to get the same amount of pain relief. We're not finding that with cannabis. The studies are still not out or cumulative, but we are seeing it in the sense that you don't need more cannabis to get to the same effective pain reduction. You need small amounts over the same amount of time and it doesn't need to be increased. So we are getting better pain management at the end of the day. This is amazing. I want to get to this. We, we, it's, we've got one person that continues to contact our show. Uh, one of the things he continues to say is, hey, there's people out here, they're, they're in pain. They've been waiting over two years now because our state did legalize medical marijuana, but there's been some issues with the legislature. And they were concerned about some of the downsides as far as, you know, one of the things we suggested was you're able to grow your own cannabis in places, but concerned about that cannabis, i.e. the marijuana, getting in the wrong hands. If there is a downside to having medical marijuana legalized within a state have you seen it and if so what is it good so with any medication anything at all uh, the difference between a drug and a toxin is dosage and we have to be understanding that nothing in too much is toxic what do i mean by that so water you can die of water toxicity. And if you can die of water toxicity, quite frankly, you could probably die from anything. That being said, we have not found the toxic dose for marijuana, meaning there's no dosage that we know of that will cause you to die. There have been no lethal dosages or overdosage in the last 200 years that we have documented of cannabis use. So we don't know what the lethal dose is because we haven't hit it yet. Now, that being said, there are things called marijuana overuse syndrome or cyclic vomiting syndrome that we see in the emergency department and in GI clinics and in internal medicine offices that's probably underdiagnosed because people are not asking about marijuana use or cannabis use. So that's one downside we're seeing. The second downside we're seeing is unfortunately pediatric overuse or accidental use. So people who have cannabis medication in their home 
in the form of chocolates or gummy bears, which is pretty common. They're seeing that their children are accidentally taking a piece of a gummy bear or more often eating an entire bag of gummy bears that is dosed with marijuana products. Those are the problems we're starting to see. Those are patients that are landing in the emergency department with not feeling well, who are vomiting, who are having high heart rates and low blood pressures. But the best part about this is that they're not dying. It is self-limiting in the sense that it takes a day at the most, or sorry, I should say two to three days at the most to come out of the system. It usually self-resolves in about six hours for the most part. Doc, last question for you. If you were to sit down with our state legislature, um, some of our state leaders that have been trying to figure out how to implement uh, what what we as voters said yes to, Uh, about medical marijuana use in our state, what would you say to them? I would say it's time to have that conversation and the conversation needs to be narcotics are killing our, our patients, our citizens at obscene numbers on a daily basis, whereas cannabis based products have never caused a single death and at the worst is causing people to vomit in an emergency department. Those are two dramatically different outcomes. And if we're looking to treat pain, we have a better option and a better route. That's not to say this is the only route or the only option, but we need to start getting more creative with options and availabilities for patients. Doc, if people want more information about what you're up to at High Sobriety at the clinic, well, what's the website? www.highsobrietytreatment.org and you can contact me as well at www.thereliefinstitute.com great stuff Um, we are excited and taking new patients and hoping to reach out across the country dr sherry yafai she is the medical director at high sobriety thanks for the time the insight we really really appreciate it thank you in tonight's final view is first lady melania trump a master media troller or did she simply just make a very bad decision? Now, earlier today, she made a surprise visit to an immigrant children's shelter along the Texas-Mexico border. And she's not only making news for the trip, but also for what she had on the back of her jacket. While getting onto her plane at Andrews Air Force Base, she wore this $39 Zara jacket that reads on the back, I really don't care. Do you? Her office says there's no hidden message to this jacket. Then President Trump weighed in on this and sent out a tweet just after this became news. He said uh, this, I really don't care, do you, written on the back of Melania's jacket, refers to the fake news media. Melania has learned how dishonest they are, and she truly no longer cares. So I want to know from you, do you think this was almost kind of staged or planned where Melania Trump was going to troll the media, kind of uh, move the conversation along, if you will, from the detention centers and troll these people, or... Did she simply make a very poor decision? Being married to a guy who spent his entire life focused on his brand and his image, it's hard for me to believe that there was any sort of mistake or, hey, I just happened to throw this $39 jacket on and said, I don't care, do you? And I would love to know your point of view on this. Very easy to share. You can call us, leave us a voicemail. You can text us. You can email us, whatever's easiest for you. But First Lady Melania Trump, is she a master media troller? Was this kind of planned and staged? Or do you think she just made a very poor decision with what was on the back of that jacket? Uh, Thank you so much for joining us.